With over 380 conveniently located CardLock locations, Co-op offers the largest CardLock network in Western Canada. Count on us to keep you fueled 24-7, right from Vancouver Island, British Columbia, through to Thunder Bay, Ontario, and all points in between. This is Sports 1440, a Stingray radio station. Broadcasting on Treaty 6 territory. Download the free iHeartRadio app and listen to CKJR wherever you go. He's back. Sports Radio is back. Here's the lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. Presented by Wolf GMC Buick. We're making it easy. WolfGMCBuick.com. Welcome to the lowdown on Sports 1440. Today's show, Elks win. Trey Ford didn't play in the first half of the season because he didn't look good in practice. And now he's the MVP of the league in the second half. What the hell, Coach Jones? What's going on there? Practice? You're talking about practice? Oilers, Young Stars, Impress, NFL Weekend has some 0-2 teams in a panic. And Jay's winning again. Although they do it late. And they're a little bit of a heart attack on a plate right now. But they are winning. Sports1440.ca, uh, iHeartRadio, and Radio Player Canada are three places you can get us. Pretty much anywhere. Just call it up. Podcast, whatever the case may be. Text or call us 1-833-401-1440. That's 1-833-401-1440. Twitter at Low Tide and at Declan Kruger. Week three together, Declan Kruger. I'm going to give you the highest praise I can give you. I'm about to give you a compliment that every producer I've ever had before you would would kill for. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm shaking. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I want to hear it. I will preface it by saying this. Uh, Tata Uramchuk is a brilliant broadcaster and a good guy. And for over a month when he was my producer, I would have to say to Matthew Awanek every day, what's that guy's name again? I never remembered his name. Not, And you can ask him. He'll tell you. It's true. Because I, Tata Uramchuk and Matthew Awanek in my brain sounded the same. And Declan Kruger doesn't sound like anything. And yet I remember three weeks in, I remember your name. And it's not an easy name. It's not like Ophelia Gottensnobel or Mike Shabaga. You know, I got to I gotta think about your name. Declan is Elvis Costello's real first name. And Kruger is the guy who sings with uh, Nickelback. Right? That's correct. Uh, I mean, for what, what, a, what a just glowing endorsement. Um, for, it's I it's think, good as you're going to get. No, it was yeah. great. It was more than I could have asked for. I'm a little, I'm kind of still shocked that you couldn't remember Tyler's name for that long. Um, I, I hope no he knows clue. that story. But no, yeah. I do appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you let me spread my wings and uh, happy no. to be here. Tyler knows that story because I, was, I would say on the air, what's your name again? Okay. So I, I once worked with a girl in sales that I called New Girl for a year and a half. It's a thing with me. That's too long. A year and a half is too long. Declan, the brain cares only about what the brain cares about, if, and I care about you. If I, well, again, thank you, very kind. If I wasn't named after Elvis Costello, is there any chance you would remember my name? Unless it was like Vincent Fernier, who's Alice Cooper, then okay. no. I mean, there, okay. you got so to give me a starting right. point. It right? has to be after a famous musician. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Lowdown is driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name, but same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. WolfGMCBuick.com. Our guest there, we got a ton of them. I don't know what Declan was doing. Now that I've, you know, confessed my love to him, I'm going to tear him apart for booking four guests. I got to work today. <laughs> Scott Petrick from the Chronicle Telegram and uh, Medina Gazette to talk Cleveland Browns. Maratta Tesh, good guy from the Athletic Winnipeg. We'll talk about the Jets' young stars offseason and expectations of this year. Jason Greger at 120. We'll discuss Oilers and Elks. Bob McGilligot. 
See, now this guy could never be my producer, is the play-by-play voice of the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll talk about the situation there. And new coach Pascal Vincent will have NHL rumors too. Okay. There's much to get to. It's a big day. Mondays are always big days in sports. The weekend goes by. There's a lot to catch up on. Well, so I thought, you know what? What 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 can I do to make this show better? And I did the bare minimum. But well, I think I did it well. Yeah. And that email you sent to management that said Axe Low Tide. That was also, I'm sure, in an effort to make the show better. Dom Lashishin from The Athletic. Every year he does, in the fall, top 125 players in hockey. Now, there are 32 teams, 125 players. That's what? Like four, four each? Oilers have seven. Seven, seven. Edmonton Oilers are on this list. McDavid is number one. Leon is in the range of two to five. Ekholm, 48 to 61, and then it's Bouchard, uh, Hyman, Nuge, and Nurse. So that's like seven guys in the top one, two, five. Evander Kane's not even on the list. The orders of the top end are screaming, screaming. Just a fantastic hockey team. It's what happens, you know, when when the guitar solo's done and Mick is, you know, dancing. Can the rhythm section drive it? And that's what the Oilers did a year ago and have to do again. I have 55 names projected for Oilers training camp. The roster is not out yet, but it could happen momentarily. This is when the first business of the year begins. I'm probably missing a goalie because Ryan Fanti is banged up. Source, Jason Greger. Maybe a former Oiler who's retired wants one more swing at the plate. Asatikana did that in 99, and Anson Carter did it maybe a decade later. I can't remember the exact year, but Anson Carter came back and tried uh, just like for a day. I don't think it lasted that long, but it was pretty cool. Always liked both of those players. Uh, Jays winning late, saved their week, and I think that pitching staff will give someone fits in the postseason. Uh, People calling for the manager's firing but I think he could salvage the season. I li- I think they like him long term, and I think that that if the Jays do, if they get into the playoffs, he'll be fine. But if they slide downward, maybe not. Oh, by the way, the inaugural PWHL draft is going on right now. Minnesota had the first pick, and they took a, a hometown hometown choice, Taylor Heisey, announced by the way by Billy Jean King. How's that for star power? Giddy up. Nicely done. And that's on TSN. Coverage of rounds one through four, I believe, on TSN television of the Professional Women's Hockey League. I'm excited about it. My daughter got heavily into the, uh, I think they were called New York Riveters, then Manhattan Riveters, and then Metropolitan Riveters. Uh, But she loved the logo, and then she loved the team. And I'm really, I have high hopes for this. I love watching women's hockey in the Olympics. And uh, one of my favorite players all time is Haley Wickenheiser. And I always cheer like hell for Canada uh, at the Olympics in hockey, men or women. And this is a league that's just starting now. Now, the the men have like a 117-year head start, so let's give it time. But I'm all about the PWHL. I don't know if I want to go here. You're going to have to help me on this. I got you. All right. Trustful. Whatever you need. Just let me know. There's a pile of 0-2 NFL teams. Patriots are 0-2. Bill Belichick's hoodie looking worn and frayed and torn and frayed. Making a Stones reference there. They don't have a QB, yes, but they're not executing. They're not making big plays. They're not delivering in the clutch. All the things that hoodies teams always do. 
Broncos, Bears, Vikings, worry, worry, worry. Josh Allen keeps turning over the ball for the Bills. They're as loose as Neil Young and Crazy Horse at the Fillmore in October 71. Who are you? Are you worried about the Bills? Not really. Not really. I mean, listen, they okay, just... You know we're on a radio show, and no. the, the contrast is what we're looking for, some kind of friction. No, I get that, but I mean, they just blew out the Las Vegas Raiders 38-10. to 10. They, But they, he's making they, mistakes all over Hell's Half Acre. But that he's always been he's always been boomer bust in that, in that sense. He's always been a big play guy, whether it be turning the ball over or an 80-yard touchdown. That's just how he plays. Now, does he need to... Would I like him to short up? Absolutely, but that's become his bread and butter for however long he's been in the NFL, and that's what we live and die on as a Bill fan. We know Josh Allen, he might turn the ball over, but next drive he's going to come out with an 85-yard drive in three plays, and that's just what he does. You don't win and Super Bowls often, that way. You don't win Super Bowls that way. You've got to protect the ball. No, I, I mean, absolutely, but I think they have, they have a strong enough defense on the other side of the ball with guys like, you know, Trey White, Kyrie Elam in the secondary, Matt Milano holding down that center, that middle linebacker position. I think they have enough on defense that they can mitigate Josh Allen's mistakes when they're the ones on the field. And we saw it against the Raiders. I mean, they held them to 10 points and they put up 38. But that's the Raiders. Well, the, Ra- the Raiders were 1-0 coming into this oh, game. sure. Who did they beat? San Diego? Denver. Well, but, you know Denver's in trouble too, Yeah, though. Denver is in trouble. Russell Wilson's on his way out. But listen, I, you, you come to accept these things, and when you have a quarterback as talented as Josh Allen, you may not love it, but you say, hey, if he's going to turn the ball over in a horrendous fashion every fourth game – but we're going to go three and one in those games because of what he does offensively. You're going to live with that because that's going to add up to a thirteen and four season. Okay, let me allow me to treat you as a hostile witness and ask you a second question. Okay, of the zero and two teams, who should worry the most? Well, wor- worry is a little subjective because I mean, you look this was at my question. You right? look at an zero and two team like the Texans, and you know the Texans are going to end up with three wins on the season, four wins on the season. So I guess you you would worry if they're them, but they're not thinking win now. I'm looking at the Bengals as an zero and two team. They have not looked good in either. Joe Burrow has has looked off. Jamar Chase hasn't looked great. Yeah, the Browns beat them, right? 24-3 or yeah, something. Yeah, the Browns beat them and the Ravens beat them yesterday. And teams move the ball against them well. And Joe Burrow, I mean, obviously his first game was 82 yards passing. That's an anomaly. 14 for 31, I think it is. He he did a little better. Had the two touchdowns to T. Higgins this time out against the Ravens. But those are two in-division games that are very important that you cannot be losing this early in the season. And they're losing it and not looking great for 45 minutes out of a 60-minute game. If I'm the Bengals, I'm concerned. Yeah. The... Uh First wrapped in PWHL history, round one, Taylor Heisey to Minnesota, Jocelyn Narock to Toronto, Alina Muller to Boston, Ella Shelton to New York, Savannah Harmon to Ottawa, and Aaron Ambrose to Montreal. So, we're underway. I'm, I am I really am going to cheer like hell for that league, I will tell you that. Oh, I think it's going to be, I'll be watching. No. I think it's going to be a great league. Uh, J- the 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 Rays and Yankees are the opposition pretty much from now on for the Jays, right? Like it's all down the line. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think they're going to make it, right? Like they're a half game up, I think, on Texas. Is it still a half game up? I think it will. Okay, yeah, that's what I saw okay. today or whenever I looked at it. I don't know. I watched them and. They're getting good pitching, and the fielding's pretty good. Bichette made a really nice play at home plate yesterday, and they're starting to get timely hitting, but it's timely if you count the 12th inning hitting. Is that timely, timely hitting? Shouldn't it come in the first nine? Yeah, you would want it to come in the first nine. Ideally, you'd want it to come early in the game. I mean, winning games by the skin of their teeth as it gets late is not a good formula. I know I just said that was okay with Josh Allen, but he's a proven product in that capacity. So with the Jays, it's not what you want to see. Bill James, the great baseball writer, years and years and years ago, he wrote lots of things that I remember really well. And this one I remember. 
He said, and I don't remember the, the percentage, but I'll say it's like 60%. Maybe it's not. But he said, in a large percentage of Major League Baseball games, the team that wins will score more runs in a single inning than the other team will score in the entire game. Is that statistically true? Well, that's what he said, you know, and he's very smart, big brain, gigantic hair, multimillionaire. Who's going to question that? Well, I guess that's our job. We got to be the ones to sit up here and say, is that, a, is that a real statistic? It sounds a little made up, but you could also look at it and say, yeah, I guess. Bill James started all the analytics in the world. He, had a, he, was, he lived in Lawrence, Kansas, and he was a really smart guy. And he went to university, and he was in the Army Reserve, and he had a night watchman's job at this place that had a gigantic computer. So he'd run a 1,000 games of a season just to see the, the randomness and how everything worked out. And he discovered things like if you're 19 years old and you're hitting a buck 70 in the American League, but you're 19, then you're going to end up being a better player than a 23-year-old who's hitting 240 at that age. And he discovered platoon advantages, all kinds of things that, that were sort of known, but not really. And Bill James did that from Lawrence, Kansas, in a gigantic computer that he used as an overnight security guy back in the 1970s. I love reading Bill James. Well, Maybe my favorite all-time writer, although Scott Young was really, really good. Lots of texts coming in, including this one from Phil. I believe Anson Carter broke his arm when he tried his training camp comeback. That was the end of him. Oh, that'll do it. Bengals went 0-2 last year, still ended up winning the AFC North, still concerned, but I think they can turn it around. It's early, early, right? It's early, early, but I don't. they didn't go 0-2 last year in two divisional games, and they didn't look this bad. Joe Burrow, I mean, listen, he's got the he's got the lingering calf injury. I believe he just re-aggravated it, but he's looked he's looked off. He's not looked like the two hundred and seventy five million dollar man. Just became the highest paid player in NFL history and has not played like that through two games. No, Gruff says, boys, who do we cheer for in the new ladies league with no Western team? Is there one we should root for more than the others? Well, I think it's personal choice: Minnesota, Toronto, Boston, New York, Ottawa, Montreal. Uh, I will probably cheer for Boston because I'm a Bruins fan and I, I'll hate watch, um, you know, the other Canadian teams. And then it's New York. Cheering for New York is too easy. Minnesota would be a good team to cheer for. It's personal choice. I can't cheer against the Montreal team because Sam Pollock had nothing to do with them. Minnesota also has that. They're, they're kind of like an honorary Canadian state. They're up north. It's cold. Everyone's pretty friendly. Like, you like to see them do well because you feel like there's a Canada connection there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. I think you've made your point. And it is a that would be considered, I believe, a western or at least central state, right? It's way the hell over in the middle. You got to go through all the, you know. A lot of other states before you get to Minnesota. It's pretty much the West, I think. Please don't ask me anything about geography or the capitals of the United States. Uh, states. Um, Howie Draper, local guy, is coach of New York. Easy. I saw that on the weekend. Good for him. I'm all about it. I will watch it, and uh, I'm hoping to be able to watch it with my daughter. And hopefully, one day Edmonton will have a franchise. It's not out of the question. Bill Hunter proved that. All right, we've got a rocking show. I mean, there's there's almost too many guests, but we we just wanted to we wanted to please you so badly that we just piled one upon another until we thought, okay, that's that's enough. We don't have any more. 
Uh, so Scott Patrick is on the way. We'll talk a little bit about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and then the Columbus Blue Jackets have been busy. I don't know if they wanted to be, but they've been busy. And play-by-play guy Bob McElligot will join us. And uh, Murata Tash at 1 o'clock from The Athletic in uh, Winnipeg. And he he knows of and knows about and knows the new coach in Columbus, so we may spend some time there. Jason Greger will join us, too, and NHL rumors as well. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown, hanging around until 2 o'clock today. Jason Greger will join us. The Young Stars are playing, I think, at 2.30 today. I watched, uh, I didn't watch them both live, because I was at Whale and the Wolf on Friday night. Oh, those guys kicked ass. Very, very good show. And a nice venue, too. I, I really enjoyed it. Make sure to get out to the next concert. 1222, Scott Petrick joins us now from the Chronicle, Telegram, and Medina Gazette to talk Cleveland Browns. In week one, the Browns ran all over the Bengals, and the Steelers looked awful. Do they own Ohio and Eastern Pennsylvania if they win tonight? <laughs> I think that'd probably be safe to say. Um, you know, they haven't started 2-0 since 1993, so it's a lot of excitement um, among the Browns, especially because they played so well like you mentioned, against the Bengals. So to beat two rivals in the first two weeks and start out 2-0 and um, would be different and would be uh, cool for Browns fans. Nick Chubb I like because he reminds me of my youth, like the 70s, in a good way, where he's just running over people and they fall down and he just keeps on going. Uh, I'm not going to say he's a unique back, but he's somewhat unique in that the, the way he plays and the number of times you can give them ball and, and the impact that he has. Uh, he's really a gift for the Browns. Oh, he really is. And, you know, they started to throw him the ball a little more this year. He had four catches in the opener. But, I mean, I think he's the best runner in the league. Maybe he's not the best running back. You know, you can talk about Christian McCaffrey. But just pure runner, I think it's Nick Chubb. You know, he had 1,500 yards last year, and he's a great teammate. Um, yeah, you know, I think they're going to throw the ball more this year, but they're not going to get away from him just because he's so good. I don't know how they calculate it. I know that the – you know, we, we when you watch the game, you know that, that a big, tough, rumbling back like that wears down a defense. But yeah. I, I think that, I, like, I I think you run him in the first quarter, even if he's getting three, because by the fourth quarter, those guys are absolutely out of gas on the yeah. defensive line, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that philosophy, and they've done that in the past. Now, this year, I think they're committed to throwing the ball more with Deshaun Watson in early and try to build a lead and then turn it over to Chubb later in the game. Um, but you're, you're right. They've had success doing that in the past because he does wear down a defense and beat him up when you get to the forward quarter. Right, those three- and four-yard runs turn into, you know, eight, ten, and maybe even 25-yard runs. I have to tell you um, that, that for me, the entire Deshaun Watson thing was, was just a, a, a curio and a mystery wrapped in a riddle. I, I, was, I, was, I didn't know why they were going for it. I didn't know why they were uprooting their team. And yet when you see him... You see the flashes of brilliance that he has. And so I guess my question is, how confident are you, are Browns fans, or how are the Browns maybe, confident that he can do that consistently? Because if he can, this team is going to be a a really tough out. Sure. The Browns are confident. I mean, they wouldn't have made the move without that confidence, right, and paying $230 million and guaranteed money. But, you know, the interesting thing, he hasn't gotten there yet. Um He's still spotty. The weather had a lot to do with it week one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they made the move because they didn't think Baker Mayfield was good enough, and they thought that Deshaun Watson was a huge 
step up and really the only chance they had to find a franchise quarterback. So that's why they made the risky move, and it is risky, but they're confident that it will pay off you know, starting this year. So we are talking about the Cleveland Browns, and we're having a nice conversation and discussing the team, but there's a bunch of fantasy football owners who want to know about Amari Cooper. So do you have anything on him, or is it still uncertain? Yeah, he's still questionable. Um, you know, it happened Saturday, which is the final practice of the week, which is tough to figure if a guy's going to be able to bounce back quick enough. I'll tell you this, I talked to Amari in, at the end of training camp, and we just were talking about last year. He finished about the last six games. He had a core muscle injury that required surgery in the offseason, but he played through it because he said it's that important to be on the field. And you never know if you play, you get a chance to catch touchdowns, you get a chance to help your team. So if he can play, I think he's going to play. Um, but it's it's just tough because the injury did happen so late in the week. Are we looking at, because, you know, I, I think it's very likely the Browns go to 2-0 and uh, tonight. And, and you know, knowing their history as we do, uh, like a 2-0 and start is, is, like, that's a hell of a start. Um, yeah. are, are, are Browns fans, like, is, is there a, is there a confidence borderline belligerence among Browns <laughs> fans right now? Or is that still sort of, you know, the, 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 the arrogance or the confidence is couched by the fact that, you know, they, they, they've looked good, but they haven't been great in recent years. Yeah. I think it's, I think there's too many scars for there to be a lot of confidence, especially <laughs> the belligerence, like you said, the Browns have just been too bad for people to be that confident about their team, like the Steelers fans are, and like the Bengals fans and the Ravens fans that they see every year in the division. Um, you know, and the hopes were high after they made the playoffs in 2020, and then they haven't been back the last two years. Hopes were high after Baker Mayfield showed up in 2018 as a rookie, had a good season, they get Odell Beckham, and then they flop in 2019. So there's been a lot of disappointments. Um, I think there's a lot of optimism heading into this week. The Browns are favored, and they haven't been favored in Pittsburgh since, like, 1989. Um, and if they go 2-0, look out. You'll see a lot of Browns fans puffing out their chest. But I think it's a little cautious right now, just given the rough recent past. You know, if if they if they win tonight in the AFC, some of the 0-2 teams are going to be the Chargers, the Broncos, Texans, Bengals, uh, Steelers, Patriots. Uh, you, you know, if you were, if you had, had you know been isolated on an island for like ten years, this would be breaking news. There's some pretty good, you know, <laughs> franchises who are going to be zero and two at the end of week two. Oh, there's no doubt. And you know, I thought the Chargers are going to be better this year, and they keep finding ways to lose games. Uh, I'm stunned that the Bengals are zero and two. I guess it makes more sense given Joe Burrow not being at camp at all after that calf injury didn't look right the first two weeks. But I still thought. You know, they're too good a team to be owned too, but they are. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. There's some teams out there that because they're owned too, they're not going to go to the playoffs. It's so hard to recover from that. If the Browns can get to 2-0, and it certainly gives them a big leg up in what's going to be a contested AFC playoff race. Uh, final question for you. Uh, how are, like, what, what are Cleveland fans upset? Are the Guardians upsetting them? Or because uh, there's no rage against the Browns, so where are we with that? Yeah, and I think everybody's kind of peaceful. The Guardians, people are upset that they didn't play better, that they kind of waved the white flag at the trade deadline. They're right in the mix and didn't right. really go get anybody. In fact, they traded a couple guys away. So there was um, angst over that. 
But, you know, this is a football town, so people move pretty quickly to uh, getting excited about the Browns. So you're, you're telling me that, that Cleveland right now is a mellow, mellow city. Well, I don't know if it's ever mellow. <laughs> people are geeked up about the Browns. They just don't have a whole lot to complain about, but, you know, give it a couple of weeks to complain about the weather. <laughs> Scott Patrick, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, Scott Patrick from the Chronicle, Telegram, and Medina Gazette. Talking Cleveland Browns. The the Browns, um, they would in the sixties. They they obviously were massive fifties as well. Uh, by the time I started watching football, which would have been NFL football, used to be the CFL would play their season, and then about week eight you'd catch up with the NFL and the NFC East and the NFC Central and the AFC Central were on a lot, and so you'd get Eagles, Vikings, Browns a lot. And they weren't any screaming hell. They just weren't, you know. Um, and but they did get better. Bernie Kosar was a was a hell of a football quarterback there for them. And they had some some big battles against the Denver Broncos. But then, of course, you know they ended up moving right. And then this is the new Cleveland team. I would like to see them go deep one year, like to go to a, a championship game. It's it's such a city that deserves it, yeah. Because that fan base has been that they haven't even been through hell. They've just been stuck in purgatory, right? They've just been a terrible team for you know basically my entire existence. The one quarterback that got them to the playoffs, Baker Mayfield, they kicked him out of town. It's a fan base that truly deserves a deep run. Is this roster constructed to do it? I don't know about deep run. I think it's certainly a playoff roster. But if there's a fan base, if there's any fan base in the NFL aside from Detroit, maybe. Cleveland deserves it, and I do hope they get there for their sake. Detroit's had a tough run. I remember Detroit's when Billy... they run Hall of Famers out of town. Well, not only that, they have the Billy Sims got his knee wrecked, and so they yep. everybody's blue and upset. And then they draft Barry Sanders, and all they can do is eight and eight with probably the best running back of my lifetime. Yeah, one of the most talented running backs ever. He he quit football after nine years because he didn't want to play for that franchise. And then the same thing happened with Calvin Johnson, another <laughs> Hall of Fame talented wide receiver. He said, "I don't want to be a part of this. I'm done." Matt Stafford was their golden boy quarterback for since 09 drafted him to be the be the star be the golden child he, he wants out he goes and wins a super bowl i mean lions fans have been through it and they deserve something nice as well a lions brown super super bowl you would think like oh for rating cleveland detroit oh, no, that's huge. terrible that'd be it'd, it'd yeah. be millions and millions of viewers because those fan bases have been through the worst of times bob mcgilligott Joining us, the radio play-by-play voice of the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets on the way in about nine minutes or so, which gives us a nice little, we've got a little window of opportunity here. And I'm going to tell you, I might at some point in time ask you a question, and I need you to to milk it because I'm going to be taking my hoodie off. It's warm in here. Okay. I feel like I'm... I'm uh, Melting. I don't but. know if I can talk for that long, but I'll do my best. Oh, no, you can. I have I, a tendency to mess up phrases, as uh, everyone so aptly oh, come out. on. You know, that's all <laughs> forgotten about. It, when, the, when, the, when the weekend comes, all things are washed away. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you say so, I'll mm-hmm. take your word for it. Yeah. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have, so Listen, I trust you. you. Will not. you will not believe how often I just kind of reprise stories that I told, mm-hmm. like the box stories coming up three weeks from now. It doesn't take long. Roll through. Roll through. You got the hits, you got the recurrence. That's how radio works. Um, hey, guys, do you think the Rams will continue their improved play and get a wild card spot? Wow, it's early for that, don't you think? It's early. I I think they've hit lightning in a bottle a little bit early. I mean, obviously, they just lost to the 49ers. They're only a one-in-one team. The, the, the NFC is top-heavy. 
a wild card berth could be in the cards, but if I had to put money on it, I'd say no. They don't make the wild card. Okay, well, you're the expert in terms of the NFL. Uh, it's a bunny hug, not a hoodie. Well, okay, we say hoodie here because if you're Saskatchewan, you say, say bunny, bunny hug. Say bunny hug. Yes, no. we do. Yes, we do. My first day in Saskatchewan, it was like in grade three, I think, and uh, the teacher said, Miss Schmidtke, she said to me, would you like a Vico? And I was like, I don't know what that is. It's chocolate milk. Chocolate milk in Saskatchewan is called Vico, or was. I don't know if it, it still is. And bunny hugs are a thing. Yep. And never, ever, ever question the Rough Riders. I didn't call it a hoodie until I was probably about 10 or 11 years old. I only called it a bunny hug because yeah. that was what I grew up knowing it as. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, I have an MA question. <laughs> a lot of M's than an A question. Do you see Edmonton hosting a UFC PPV event or a Bellator PPV event? You can answer that question. I don't. Yeah, well, Bellator is about to fold, so they likely won't be coming here anytime soon. Listen, I think Edmonton, we, we've had a couple of pay-per-views in recent mem- memory. We had UFC 215, which was uh, which was Nuna Shevchenko 2 back in 2016. And then we had UFC 240, uh, which was Holloway, Holloway Edgar in 2019. The thing is... The UFC, they're kind of specific with when they go to Canadian markets. They just went to Vancouver. It'll probably be a little bit of time before they go to another one. And Toronto hasn't had an event since 2018. Obviously, a huge market. So they'll go to Toronto first. It was UFC 231 the last time they were there. I think Canada will get a... I think Edmonton specifically will get a UFC pay-per-view sometime in the next two, three years. But I don't think you should be holding your breath that it comes too soon. There's just too many markets to hit in Canada that they haven't been to recently. And that's obviously going to be at the the Rogers? It would be at Rogers, yes. yes. The last two were at Rogers as well Declan can keep up your show is on fire well we, I know I, I've been re- doing this for 43 years we're doing okay the key is Declan because what happens in radio in life is you don't you you don't get to choose your person and even if you do it might not be the right person and so I didn't know I knew Declan from the other place and I'd worked with him a little bit and he saved my bacon on the draft show and I appreciate that but you don't know until you sit in a room and there's nobody else around, and you throw it. It's like tennis. You throw it over the net, and then it comes back, and it's got a little bit of fire on it, and you know it goes right through your your armpit, and you go, "Well, I gotta, I gotta keep up." And that's you. So we praise you. I don't know why, but we're doing that now. No, um, keep it coming. I love to hear it. Any more text you want to read? I got all day. There's, there's never anybody who goes, "No, no, please." I have an hour and twenty five minutes yep. for you to sing my praises. Um, I'll cheer for wherever nurse plays. Amen to that. Gents, you could also cheer for good hockey and not have a team. Uh, I don't know if I... I have to have somebody to love and somebody to hate. That's just the way I was built. It's true. Like, if the, if I, I didn't mean, have the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know what I'd do. It certainly adds a lot more investment to it, but for the most part, I spent my whole life watching the World Cup just enjoying good soccer because Canada was never in it. Sometimes you do just cheer for the Shield and you want to see good sports, and there's nothing wrong with that. I will tell you that, that when I was in a rotisserie league for like 16 years... I made a lot of money because I won twice and I was better than anybody. But I stopped cheering for specific teams and I only cheered for specific players like pitchers and things. And I did not enjoy that. I was glad when I was done with it because I like to be, I like to love my team and hate watch another team. Yeah, you have to hate the division rivals. That's the sure. number one rule of sports. Oh, yeah. The number one rule of sports isn't even enjoy the games. It's no. just hate your rivals. Right. And right. Sam Pollock. Yes. Okay. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. McCafe now has cold brew beverages and they're smooth. Made with 100% Arabica beans, steeped cold and slow for an irresistibly smooth taste. 
McCafe cold brew beverages for a limited time only at participating McDonald's. It's the lowdown on Sports 1440. Powered by Wolf GMC Buick, Murat Hitesh, and Jason Greger. On the way in hour number two, Bob McGilligan joins us. Play-by-play voice of the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets. And I bet you that it was a crazy weekend for anybody in media uh, or surrounding the Columbus Blue Jackets. And now it's... Uh, a new, a new coach and a new situation, and I, I, I know that play-by-play guys like to be prepared, and I bet you've been doing a lot of prepping in these last few hours. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You talk about a busy weekend. It'll mess up your NFL Sunday, I'll tell you that mm. right now. But, uh, yeah, it, it, the good thing here is uh, it's a new coach, but it's a familiar coach in Pascal Vincent, who's been here as an assistant for the past two years. So um, there's already a familiarity there, and I, I think the players – I feel good about that from the same standpoint, too. I mean, they're not dealing with somebody that they know. They were going to deal with somebody that they, they didn't know. And uh, now there's there's a bit of familiarity there. I checked with the people that I know in the hockey industry, and uh, he, Vincent has a really good reputation, and it's sort of the idea that he was going to be an NHL head coach anyway. And I'm just wondering, the timing probably works, because there are some questions, and we're going to get to roster questions in a minute, but if you're going to do it this close to uh, training camp, you know, getting it done now where you've got a little bit of time here to uh, get the coaches together, and, and if there are any changes in, in focus or or – uh, the thrust of the roster will change a little bit. You'll have an, at least an opportunity to address it as a coaching staff before you meet the team. Yeah, you know, for Pascal, I'm really happy that he gets this opportunity. The way that it comes about is not ideal for any of us here. I'll give you that. But this is a guy that was up for this job two times. In fact, uh, Jarmo Kekalainen, the general manager here, had said uh, even a couple of months ago when he let Brad Larson go that Pascal was going to get an interview for the job and admitted that when the job was open previously, it was during the pandemic. They couldn't do face-to-face interviews. Everything was over the computer. And he said that maybe if we were able to do one-on-one face-to-face interviews, maybe Pascal would have gotten a job at that time. He didn't. He came in as an associate coach. He didn't get it this summer, and I understand that. The timing was all wrong because you had just promoted an assistant coach to the head coach with Brad Larson. It didn't work out. To really have your fan base buy into you know, okay, you just did that. You just promoted a guy. Well, why Why is it going to work this time when it didn't work just the last time you did it? I understand all of that. So the timing was bad for him. But he is the he's the guy that should have this job. And now because of the circumstances, he's the guy that does have this job. And he is, as you said, he's very well respected. He's a great person. I've gotten to spend a lot of time around him the last couple of years. He's honest. He is uh, direct. and And he's a caring guy. And, you know, He's got to win hockey games, and he knows that. But I think his team is going to be a bit of an intense team. Um, you know, in talking to him, he said that all the work that he and Mike Babcock had done with all the other coaches this summer, he said the, the systems were perfect for him. He said it was just the way that I would coach a team if I was the head coach, so they don't have to change anything. What they worked on all summer will stay in place, and they'll go to work on it this week. Bob McGilligan, our uh, guest from the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, play-by-play voice of the the Blue Jackets. One of the things, I looked at them about two weeks ago, just kind of preparing for the year, and the roster, I I identified either 15 centers or three centers, depending upon how I looked at it. How, How does it look, and I mean, I know that we've got a new coach, so I know that there may be changes or whatever, but did you get an idea about who they might try or look at as the top three centers 
heading into the season? Well, I didn't pin him down on that question in particular. Um, but, I mean, to be honest with you, Sean Corrales is going to be a center. He's probably going to send to the fourth line. Uh, Boone Jenner was the number one center throughout much of last year. It's a spot that he could stay at. Adam Fantilli was taken third overall. He's going to play center on what line? That remains to be seen. You've got Cole Sillinger, who had a great rookie year two years ago, and last year struggled, wound up in the American Hockey League before the year was over. But he's a guy that could be, should be, a centerman on your team. Dmitry Voronkov just came over here from Russia. They project him as a third-line centerman, although they might start him on the wing or they might start him in the AHL uh, coming over from Russia to get him acclimated to North America. So I haven't even touched on Jack Roslovic, who's mm-hmm. played at that position before. So, yeah, you're right. This And Patrick Laine tried to play there a couple of games last year. This is a team that went from having no depth at center to now, yes, when you look at it on paper, there are a lot of guys that can play the position. And who will play it? It's going to be the guys that play it the best in camp. So the the team itself, I mean, I, I'm not saying they're rebuilding, but it's it's kind of a situation where they've got a lot of young talent intermixed with some real quality veterans, and it's you know they they won 25 games, obviously looking for a higher win total this year. But part of of what when I look at the Blue Jackets, part of what what you know Im, has impacted them a lot is injuries. Wierenski being a, an obvious one, but how does the, does the team look healthy? As we enter camp here, is the expectation that most of the roster is going to show up with 10 fingers and 10 toes? Yeah. As a matter of fact, going into it, and they'll have their physicals coming up on Wednesday, but uh, right now I don't know of anybody that's not ready to go when it starts. And that's saying something after how many guys missed almost the entire season last year or a good chunk of the season last year. Wierenski, like you said, is the uh, the guy that stands out the most. You know, when Zach Wierenski goes down and – late October, early November, whatever it was, you know that you're in trouble right there. Because there there just wasn't anybody to replace him on the blue line that could even be similar to him. So you were already in trouble. Then Jake Bean goes down. He misses the rest of the year. And you lose another defenseman. Adam Boquist missed a couple of big chunks. uh, And he was out. So the blue line got hit really hard. Um, A depth guy like a Justin Danforth who, you know, two years ago signed to here as a a free agent who had never played in the NHL, made a name for himself, got a two-year contract, plays with a lot of grit. He got knocked out early in the season last year. It was just, it was, it was not just injuries. It was like big-time injuries where guys were out for months or they were done for the season. So, yes, they're healthy, and that makes them 100% better right there. I mean, having Zach Wierenski ready to go from opening day is uh, a huge shot in the arm. Uh, Ivan Provorov is a guy, I remember his draft year, everybody wanted the guy, and he's had some really good years, and and obviously uh, Philly's in a, a situation where they're kind of moving on, so there's an opportunity there. But he's a young guy, he's 26 years old, he's got a lot of miles left on him. Uh, from the Blue Jackets' point of view, that's got to feel like a really good get. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's a guy that... Uh, as you said, he's got great experience already. There's not going to be the same kind of pressure here that there is in Philadelphia. I mean, you guys know whether you're good or bad in Philly, there's pressure. And there'll be pressure here, but it's it's going to be a different kind of pressure. Plus, you've got Wierenski, who you know is going to be on the top pair. So, you know, as you look at it, and I shouldn't say that Ivan won't end up there because he could based on the way guys are playing. But, you know, if he slots into a, a second pairing, well, then there's more pressure 
that's off you. Just go out and play your game. Just do what you do. And that's really all they're looking for him to do. And same with Damon Severson, who they picked up in a, uh, you know, a trade and sign from the, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, they just wanted guys. They needed guys that were more experienced defensemen based on what happened last year, not just with injuries, but for the guys that were playing. They got to look at everybody last year. They, they knew where they were. They knew they needed to improve on the back end, and that's what they did. PTO's going to Mato Del uh, Malosh and Schnarr, I believe. Uh, you know, just looking at it, I think Mato's an interesting guy, and I think we we saw Malosh out here out west quite a bit in the last few seasons, uh, AHL and a little bit of NHL. Uh, any thoughts on on those PTOs? Anybody have a chance? Well, I think Dell is the guy that stands out the most because this is a team that's looking for a number three goalie right now. Um, there's really, there's, there's nobody that's, uh, that's in slotted right now. They need somebody that's going to be able to go between the NHL and the AHL. So they need a goalie. They've got him here on a tryout. He's going to get an opportunity. And, and, you know, you know, we talk about health issues. Daniil Tarasov spent a lot of last year hurt. And Elvis Merz-Lickens was out of uh, the lineup hurt last year too. So those guys, if neither one of them is healthy, that obviously gives you a guy that has NHL experience that, uh, that you could plug in. Thanks for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Bob McGilligan, the play-by-play voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets. A big weekend for them, big turnaround. Um, Mike Babcock resigning, and that was a big story through all last week. We covered it last week. Uh, I, 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 I think that, that um, all pro teams make a calculated risk when they hire somebody with with a backstory, and they hope for the best, and this one fell apart real quick, and I wonder, and we can talk about it if you want to text us, uh, by all means text us anytime. I wonder if this sort of quick unraveling, our text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. I just wonder if this kind of unraveling maybe changes the dynamic for teams. Because you you know, like if the you know the GM is probably feeling some heat, the ownership is probably feeling some heat, and yet they did it. They they made that calculated risk, and it came back on them in a quick hurry. Does that does that change for the next team for the next organization? Well, we'll we'll see. But it's something to monitor. Was Vincent in the meeting with Babcock and didn't say anything? Well, that would be an interesting answer, but I'd probably throw at you, how would we how would we know? How would the play-by-play guy know that? I know there's going to be a lot of questions asked, and the media can ask that when when the time of arrival comes. And I do think that, that it's fair to wonder about the general manager and about the you know the endorsement, obviously, from the ownership. And it's not a team that's been successful, right? It's not a team that, that you go, well, holy man, they, you know, there's a reason the GM has been in place for so long. But Columbus is a team that has, you know, they arrived at around the turn of the century and they have not been good, like at all. Rick Nash asked out. They were so poor and they kept rebuilding and he just said, let me go. And they sent him to Manhattan. So, you know, if if your if your point is that this is an organization that that may not have the proper structure, I'm all about it. But in terms of, you know, a specific questions like that i i mean i i don't think there's a sense in asking it when there's we already know the answer 
Babcock firing might be another indicator that the old boys club is slowly falling apart in hockey. Well, maybe, but what about, you know, like there, there's, there's talk that, that, you know, Joel Coinville's coming back and, and, you know, like, I, like I think that I think an organization is always wise to go with a player that suits what they're doing. And if you're close, like let's take as a scenario and I don't want to use this necessarily, but let's say Jay Woodcroft uh, has this team around February and they're just, they're kind of listing or they're, they're listless. If you're going to bring in a replacement for Jay Woodcroft, do, would you go with another young coach? I don't think you would. I think you'd look for somebody a little bit different. Woodcroft's reputation is as a player's coach. Would you ask for a, like a hard ass if you're the owner? I think you probably would. So, but I, I, I think your point about you know they, they they take it from the old coach's woodpile. I don't think that's going away per se, but maybe maybe when you're doing your due diligence as an NHL organization, you have to cut it a little more fine. Because there is risk. Players aren't putting up with as much crap as before, though. Sure. But the NHLPA is had a new leader, and that's part of it, too. The NHLPA stepped in in a way that they would not have in the past. If you go read the, the what was coming out of Columbus before this exploded, and then you, you'd follow the timeline and Marty Walsh and what he did... And this is a guy who, like, you know, I don't remember what he was in the upper echelon of the American government, but, you know, he's pretty skilled in all of this. I, I think there's there's a new sheriff in town in the NHLPA. That is part of it. Al, not to be ageist, but old dogs do not have to go on in coaching. The old systems don't work with this generation. Babcock, Torts, Belichick, Sabin. From Andrew. Andrew, I agree. I also talked last week about the the bullying style of the older generation not working with the new generation. We, we've heard coaches say it all the time. Jay Woodcroft said it. He said, you know, you can't just come in and say do it because you have to show why it's important or why it works. And it's not about, you know, saying, well, your coursey is bad. It's like, what, what what will help us? Why am I doing this and what is the benefit of it? And I, I, I look, these are intelligent players, but they were intelligent in the 70s too. But everybody was in a different world. You could get barked at, especially if you were a kid. Have I yelled at you yet? Not once. No. I'm a sophisticated guy. It's cozy over here. Yeah. Well, don't get too comfortable because I, la- I lapse into the 70s every once in a while. I sleep with one eye open, but I sleep cozily. So you don't, you're not married and you don't have a dog. No for two. All right. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up in Edmonton in the 60s and 70s, a hoodie was called a kangaroo jacket from Richard. Well, times change. Used to be called dungarees. Jeans used to be called that. And used to be able to use the word slacks without people laughing until they fall down. I got a pair of slacks to go with this sports jacket. I still I still call my pants britches sometimes. Well, that's to be cute. Yeah. 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 Okay. You know. I thought I was going to relate to you, but you shut it down pretty quickly. No, so I, just, I won't I try mean, again. Uh, there are mistake. words that just aren't used anymore. Mm-hmm. Frock. Frock's a big one. <laughs> we had good time with frock. Yeah. I have fond memories well, you of guys the frock. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Raiders are going to make the playoffs low tide. Don't count them out. Okay. Sure. Whatever you say. 
I don't. I'm mad at them because they screwed over Mike Mayock, who I liked because of Jack O'Lantern, Coach Man. But I'll get over it. I, I, you know, I, I tend to be angry for a year or two, and then I get over it. So, talk to me in 2025. We should be fine. Hour number two. Jason Greger is going to join us, and on the way next, Marat Tesh from the Athletic, Winnipeg, and Marat is a a really cool cat. And he has, he brings a whole bunch of stuff with him. Like I have to ask about his mom because his mom is a media star. And then I have to make a reference to something about Winnipeg. So I will do that because he's very knowledgeable about the city of Winnipeg. And then we're going to talk hockey and he's brilliant at that too. So Maratatesh on the way. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440.